So Paul says in 1 Corinthians that my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I want to kind of flow over from what we were doing in worship. Uh, First of all, with the story, we went to a Randy Clark conference this past year, Karen and I did, and uh, he was sharing testimonies about how people would be healed during the preaching, you know, during the sharing of testimonies. When we went there, Karen had an injury in her shoulder called frozen shoulder, which is, it's, it's an injury that, you know, it, it just happens and it kind of bends a little bit, it gets out of shape, and she was getting some massage therapy and stuff, but anyways, um, during the preaching, he had people stand up and test things out, um, and so she stood up and she was testing out her shoulder, and, and uh, before you know it, we it began to be apparent that she was no longer doing the testing alone. It was an angel of the Lord that was there almost bending and twisting in different ways that she couldn't really do without help, if that makes sense. And so, I mean, it wasn't bum, 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 bum. You know, it wasn't that. It was, it was just very slow, very methodical. And um, <clears throat> so by the time we, were, so this lasted about five hours. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here, God's angel's here, and I'm watching Tim Hawkins, and she's getting a workout with God, but it's okay. We just, <laughs> just went right through lunch, right through the next session, and this lasted about five hours. And about by the time she was done, it was about 85% healed, and the healing continued for the next uh, week and a half or something like that. Yeah, she's nodding, so I got it right. <clears throat> Always look at the wife when you're unsure. So, um, so all that to say that I want us to expand the grid of our expectations that we believe God can move while we have the worship going on, while we have the prayer team, uh, when we come up for prayer. But I want you to be expectant that God's going to touch you right there during the preaching, because Paul said it was during the preaching. So, so what I want you to do is if you feel the tangible presence of God come on you today, So this could be in the form of heat, fire, coolness. God heals you, or you feel like he's healing you. You're starting to get more mobility in a certain area. You feel something dissolve, something like that. I want you to stand up during the sermon. Now, I'm not going to call on you and ask you to give explanation. I just want you to stand up, and then I'm going to say, bless you in Jesus' name, and then you just sit down, okay, if if you're able. (laughs) No, you you just sit down, because I won't be able to call on you, but... um, and, you know, I just believe God is going to move in power during the preaching. So we, can we believe for that? Yeah. Amen. So let's pray that. Lord, we just thank you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We thank you for your dispatch of angels that are putting scrolls in people's pockets. We also know, God, they're bringing healing to people that need it. And we just release. Just, just pray this with me. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now. In Jesus' name. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, because the message doesn't even have to be about healing for God to heal, because healing is his name. It's in his nature. So it's just just part of the deal. It's part of salvation, all right? Okay, so, all right, uh, let me see here. Do I want to move to the next one? Yes, I do. Oh, there it was. Okay. Man, we're, we're playing around here. Ping pong, okay. So the fear of the Lord, as we get into this topic, and Eric already talked to, to you about um, how this came about, it's a New Testament principle, as we'll see. Uh, most of you already walk in the fear of the Lord to some extent without even realizing it. There's many things that I don't know about it, to be honest with you. And I want you to think about the fear of the Lord. How many of you have seen a 26-sided dice? Oh, no, I should have almost brought a picture of it. But do you know, have you heard of a 26-sided dice? Anybody? Really? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm exposing myself. I used to play Dungeons and Dragons, and we used to have <laughs> bad, bad dice, bad dice, bad Eric. <clears throat> okay, so there's, there's dice that are out there that are more than six sides. Okay, you have four sides, six sides. Well, this is 26-sided, that I, I, so I, I guess I should have brought the picture. But anyway, so think of a 26-sided dice as one of the facets of the fear of the Lord in the same way that you cannot describe the love of God in one sentence. You cannot describe the fruit of the Spirit in one sentence or the gifts. Okay, so think of the fear of the Lord in this way, and we're going to try to hit some of those today, all right? I promise it won't be 26. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so here we go. First, let's look at some of the benefits of walking in the fear of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. His goodness is stored up for those who fear him. His eye is on those who fear him. The angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear him. There is no lack to those who fear him. Great is his mercy towards those who fear him. By fearing the Lord and departing from evil, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The fear of the Lord prolongs your days on earth. In strong confidence, you'll have when you have the fear of the Lord and your children will have a place of refuge. So there's something about walking in the fear of God that brings blessings to you and to your descendants and to those that are around about you. And finally, by walking in humility and the fear of the Lord, there are riches and honor and life. Now, that's the short list, right? If we were to, if I was to give you a quiz and I was to say all of these benefits, then I was to say grace of God, love of God, and fear of God, probably everybody would have failed because we wouldn't have thought that the fear of God was tied into all of these benefits. And yet, this is right out of Scripture, right? And this is not all of them. There's literally 200 or so Scriptures on the fear of the Lord. So that's a pretty good thing. So I think we ought to know what the fear of the Lord is, right? So come on me with this journey. Let's go see what it's about. <clears throat> all right, I like to get animated, move around. Um, all right, so first we need, to, we need to realize what the fear of the Lord is not. And this is where we get confused sometimes. The fear of the Lord is not a fear of God's judgments or punishments upon you. Second Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So He took all punishment for our sins, and He was judged on the cross in His body, right? Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've heard that one? Well, that was, that was the experience that Jesus got, so that now we have 24-7 access to the very throne room of God. In fact, God has made us so clean that He lives inside of us now. That's pretty cool. That's worth shouting right there, right? <clears throat> so now um, he, he corrects those He loves. That's true, Hebrews 12. But he does not put calamity or sickness on us to teach us a lesson. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Speaking of the devil, Jesus comes to give life and life more abundantly. All right? So even though we can reap what we sow sometimes, even in those situations, God is able to redeem the situation. Just ask the prodigal son. I mean, he was out there kind of like the the guy in the, the Jonah in the whale. He was out there experiencing miserableness, and God wasn't putting that on him. He was, and who was the one suffering? It was the father. You know, in the lost coin, who was the one? The coin didn't know they were lost. It was, it was the woman that was searching frantically for the coin. You see, God's heart hurts more than ours does. So we got to remember that. Um, the, so there's no big hand from the sky that's ready to crush you. In fact, there was a city that had rejected Jesus and the disciples said, ah, shall we call down fire like Elijah? No. Uh, he rebuked them and said, you don't know what spirit you're of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So John 3.17, John 12.47 is the short list. Jesus said he came not to judge the world. Now I tell you, he does show a certain kind of judgment, and that's in Matthew 12.18. After he healed them all, Luke, no, Matthew, says, he quotes Isaiah, and he says this, that I will put my spirit on him, and he will show judgment to the Gentiles. And what was the judgment he was showing to the Gentiles? He was kicking the devil's butt in their life. He was healing them of sickness and disease and torment. He was delivering them. That's the justice because he already paid for it on the cross. So now we should expect whatever happened in the cross to flow towards us. And that's what God is doing. First John 3, he's come to destroy the works of the devil. That's the purpose the Son of God was manifest. That's what First John 3 says. So, you know, it's good stuff. He's judging the devil in our life because John 16 says he's already been judged. He's already been judged. So, um, let's see here. And, and so the other thing I want you to think about, it says they were all healed in that verse in Matthew 12. Do you think some of those were probably sinners? You think some of them were probably rotten, you know, dirty scoundrels, you know, who knows what they were, kind of like we were, and yet Jesus healed them. So that's just great grace, isn't it? All right, the next thing is we need, uh, the fear of the Lord is not a fear of coming to God, okay? Romans 8, 15, you know, the spirit of adoption, we sing that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, 
for I am a child of God. That good? And then we go something like, oh, and then I always don't know if we go up or down. So I quietly, I go, oh, and then I wait. Where's everybody else going to go? Oh, <clears throat> anyway, I'm giving you away my little secrets, so. <clears throat> um, yeah, it says, Hebrews 4, 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. The throne of grace, right? Isn't that a great throne to be? The context in verse 15 says, Jesus was tempted in all points, yet without sin. So the implication is when we sin, we're supposed to come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't run away from God, we run to God. He's the dad that cleans up the messes, right? Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the impulses of the flesh, you'll die. But if you, by the Spirit, are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body, habitually means you're going to have to, you you keep dealing with things. You keep habitually putting down. You see, the problem is we get condemned because we're tempted. You don't need to be condemned because you're tempted. Jesus was tempted. I mean, if that was the case, he'd be the greatest sinner of all because he was tempted at all things. I haven't even been tempted in everything, right? But Jesus was. And yet he shows us the way how to overcome. He's able to aid those in temptation, he says. So the main thing is we repent, even if it's 50 times, even if it's 100 times. You keep coming and you keep running to God. You don't justify it. You don't say, oh, I guess I was born that way. That's not going to work. Because if you have the seed of God in you, you have a new nature, which is conforming more and more to be like Jesus Christ until the day of redemption. So that's what the fear of the Lord is not. So now we're going to look at some of the things that the fear of the Lord Oh my. Is that where I am? I think so. I guess we'll find out. Okay, the fear of the Lord is scripturally defined. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> so, won't read all of them, but it says that we can be taught the fear of the Lord. It says it's the beginning of wisdom. Eric alluded to that already. It says it's the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride, arrogance in the evil way, and the wicked mouth. And by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men or women depart from evil. In the New Testament, so this is where I go to the, the next one. First uh, Peter, well, First John 4.18 says that perfect love casts out fear. And yet, First Peter 2.17 says, honor all men, love the brethren, fear God, and honor the king. So that word fear means to be put to flight, to be seized with fear, to be afraid. So how does this work? So this is the Greek word phobio, where we get phobia in English. When people have phobias, it makes them walk differently based on that phobia. You will never see me get near a roller coaster. I just, I have no desire. I will not be tempted to do, you know. So... I used to get made fun of when I was first saved all the time for fearing to join in on dirty jokes and in parties and in different things like that because the fear of the Lord causes you to walk differently, doesn't it? There's several scriptures in the New Testament. We'll just read a few. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, not the love of God. Interesting. Why is that? Why do we walk in the fear of the Lord and submitting one to another? Because the banana that leaves the bunch gets eaten, which means you need the body of Christ. You can't do this alone. You need one another. We, we need each other. How is it that the lions in Africa hunt? They go for the one that's not where they should be. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And finally, 2 Corinthians 7.1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Okay. So that's a little bit about the New Testament verses. So let's look at some of the facets to this. And this is part of the 26-sided dice thing. I can't believe you guys haven't seen it. I, I'm going to have to email that or something. or Maybe I'll post it in the... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to click it. I know it's going to go for... That's weird. That's on. Can you guys do the next slide for me? Where am I? Is it? Oh. 
That's right. There you go. Well, if you could, if you get a chance, go ahead and go do the next slide here. So the, one of the first facets is that the, is, is the computer stuck? Okay, it's, he's, he's nodding yes. Okay. All right. So the, well, so the first, um, the first facet is that the fear of the Lord is relational. Okay. So Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it's something about in us that we want to please the Lord and we don't want to do anything that violates our connection with him. And there's a pastor in uh, Bethel Church, Redding, California, his name's Bill Johnson. He talks about, it's like a dove landing on your shoulder. And you don't want the, sh the not the shoulder, the, the dove to fly away, right? And so every step you take is with the dove in mind. So what would it be like if we, every step we took, we had God in mind? That's, that's kind of a facet of the fear of the Lord. That's what fear of the Lord is walking in. You're, you're careful. You know, the, the simple pass on and are punished, but the wise, you know, uh, hold, hold themselves back. And I'm misquoting that. I've got it here later, but it came to mind, so I popped it. <laughs> so, um, you know, can a man take fire close to his body and his clothes not get burned? Proverbs tells us, but when our hearts are blazing for Jesus, we don't even want to come close to strange fires. They have no pull. So, um, so another facet here, I'm still waiting to see if this pops up. So as you know, many times the presence of the Lord is warm and fuzzy. And it's great. It's like warm honey or butter or whatever you want to say. But sometimes the fear of the Lord is actually an emotional feeling of fear particularly from an encounter with God or with the supernatural. So if we could get the slide, it's Daniel 5, verse 6, but I want to illustrate uh, this verse here. It says, The king watched the back of a hand writing on a wall. Oh, there it is. Keep going. Oh, there, okay, got it. Okay. Now I want to explain what's happening here. This hand supernaturally appears out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. That's pretty freaky right? Again, the supernatural realm is more real than the natural realm. If God was to open our eyes, we would see angels, we would see, you know, and, and I trust some of you are feeling the Lord, but you're not standing up yet, so I'm not getting nervous yet. You know, we still have some time, <laughs> but come on, Lord. So, um, but he starts writing on the wall. Notice he says, his facial expression changed, utterly frightened, he lost control of his bowels, and his knees knocked together. Now, you know what that's saying, right? Yeah. He, his knees knocked together, probably because, no, I mean, he, it was, <clears throat> he had a mess on his hands, right? He peeped himself. <clears throat> and we see this a lot of times because sometimes the power of God is scary. You see, flesh and blood won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. So there's going to be times where you will have encounters with God that, blow your socks off. And that's part of the fear of the Lord, all right? For example, we use electricity every day. You'll never see me going up to an electric, you know, like the switch, right? Here's the switch. And ah, I didn't get shocked. I didn't get killed. We just don't do that because there's insulation, right? We use electricity 100 times during the day and we never fear of getting killed or electrocuted. But now, every now and then, God takes us near the power station or a live wire. If there was a live wire here, everybody, okay, get the children back, uh, go kill the power. I mean, everybody would be handling it with caution, right? Because it's a live wire. It's dangerous. And sometimes that's what the fear of the Lord does. There's this emotional, literally feeling of fear that, that comes up because of, uh, you know, an encounter with God or an experience. Um, Bill Johnson experienced... Uh, he was crying out for the more of God to come into his life. And it showed up one time. He, God showed up in the form of electricity flowing through his body. Three to four hours for three to four nights at a time. Never woke up his wife, amazingly. But and it was just, he was just praying more of God at any price. And, um, and that's how God showed up. Uh, another story here. This is from his book, Face to Face with God. Uh, this is where I lost my place, but I think I've got it here. Oh, good. I... So there's a missionary called uh, Heidi Baker, 
This is like in 1998, so Randy Clark was kind of instrumental in the whole outpouring in Toronto. I think most of you have heard of that. Randy Clark is preaching, and she's there. She's a burned-out missionary. Fifteen years, she's gotten maybe two measly churches, and you know she's ready to quit and go work at Kmart. I mean, it's, she, she just needs a touch from God, or else she dies. I mean, there's just no point. So he pointed to me and said, God is asking, do you want Mozambique? <clears throat> I experienced the heavenly fire of God falling on me, I was so hot, I literally thought I was going to burn up and die. I remember crying, Lord, I'm dying. And I heard the Lord say, good, I want you dead. <laughs> he wanted me completely emptied of self so he could pour even more of his spirit into my life. For seven days, I was unable to move. Roland had to pick me up and carry me. I had to be carried to the washroom, to the hotel, back to the meeting. The weight of his glory was upon me. I felt so heavy I could not lift my head. Some passing by thought it was funny to see someone stuck to the floor for so long. If I were put in a chair, I'd just slide right back out. I was utterly and completely helpless. I was unable to speak for most of the seven days. This holy, fearful, awesome presence of God completely changed my life. I've never been so humbled, never felt so poor, so helpless, and so vulnerable. I even needed help to drink water. There was nothing funny about it. It was a most holy time. I learned more in those seven days than in 10 years of academic theological study. The fruit of that was thousands of churches were born shortly thereafter. They started seeing deaf ears open, blind eyes open. They started seeing the dead raised. Would you like to hear a normal day in heaven? This is Revelation 4, 6, and 8. I combine them. It's around the throne. There's these four living creatures. They have six wings and they have eyes in the front and the back. Sounds like a Hollywood horror story, right? No, it's just heaven. It's just heaven. Day and night, they do not stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, if that showed up in your room or a dream, you'd probably be trying to rebuke it, right? It's just God. What we think is scary, God sees as normal sometimes. And that's what I want to lead into this next point here. At times, there should be fear, or there is fear, but there shouldn't be. Matthew 17, 5. Here's just one example. This is the transfiguration. While Peter was still speaking of this, he was seeing and, and hearing, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down in terror. And then Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up. Do not be afraid. So I want you to notice that Jesus was not scared of doing miracles. He didn't freak out when he started walking on the water. He didn't freak out when he cast out demons. He was not afraid of the cloud and the voice. Why? Because he was familiar with the presence. He was familiar with God in a way that others were not. That's what we need to get to. That's where God's taken us with the fear of the Lord. You remember the first time Moses threw down his staff? What happened? Do you remember the story? He threw down his staff. God was going to use it as a sign for Pharaoh. It turns into a snake and he runs. How did you feel the first time you prayed in tongues? How did you feel the first time you got a word of knowledge? Now, the list goes on and on. But after a while, he learned to get used to what God was doing and moving. But he always picked it up by the tail. Never picked it up by the head. You always treat God and his glory and his presence with honor and respect. Amen. Amen. So have you ever been around? Well, let me, let me get to this story first. I got to read this one. This is, um, this is, uh, yeah, okay. And, and so another story I thought of is we were in Lakeland. This was in 2008 as we were going to experience what a revival was like for the first time. You know, it was pandemonium in some cases and uh, you know, there is flesh, of course. There's always going to be flesh whenever there's a, a move of God. The devil's always going to try to throw things in there. That's just, you should be happy when that happens, right? That means God, it's not a dead place. God is moving. So, um, so don't be alarmed when that happens. But the closer we get to the stage, the more your body would become, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Weak in the limbs, just because of the power that was around that place 
He just kind of, he just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it just felt so good. You just, you just be all googly. So here's a story, Smith Wigglesworth. When he would pray, by the time he was done, nobody could stay in the room. And so the author on hearing of this, who was present, registered a vow that if the opportunity came, he at any rate would stay no matter else who left. So <clears throat> a meeting arose and the like opportunity came and the contest was on. A number prayed, then the old saint began to lift up his voice. And strange as it may seem, the exodus began. A divine influence began to fill the place. The room became holy. The power of God began to feel like a heavy weight with set chin and definite decision not to budge. The only other one now left in the room hung on and hung on until the pressure became too great and he could stay no longer. With the floodgates of his soul pouring out a stream of tears and with uncontrollable sobbing, he had to get out or die. And a man who knew God, as few do, was left alone, immersed in an atmosphere that few could breathe in. Amen. You want to get to that level? Then you got to pay a price to get there. It's, it's consecration, holiness, and I'm, it's just as much me because I'm not there yet. You're not falling down, you know, you're, you're not standing up yet, you know, all that stuff, right? And so it's, we have more. We have more work to do uh, of the Lord working in us. Have you ever been around someone who makes you so uncomfortable because of their walk with God or because of an area that they have breakthrough in? It's like, dude, how do you, how do you even do that? Has anybody been around somebody that's made them uncomfortable? I mean, I can think of several people. Everybody adores Wigglesworth. Well, most people adore Wigglesworth today. But I guarantee there'd be few in this room that would go on a treasure hunt with him. Because he was radical. You don't throw a corpse up against the body and command life in it unless you have some, you know, some closeness with God. You just don't do that. And there's other crazy things that he did. He got results. And I, I'm not saying that I condone every, all of them. I don't, you know, I don't understand the whole punching in the stomach thing. I would, I would never do that. Um, but I, I think some of that was probably exaggerated. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. But the point is, I've seen, well, you know, it, it's not unheard of for God to blow somebody three or four rows back by the power of God and for them to land safely and okay. So you did? Yes, yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. And while it was a very limited service that she was made for, there was another, a one score on my Wow. Yes. There you go. God knows how to land you, right? <laughs> yes. So. Now, it, you know, it's not that we're going after the signs in the sense of, you know, it's just we have to be open to them. We have to be aware and willing for God to do whatever he wants to do. And, and so signs follow believers. That, that's going to be part of your life. It just will be. And signs always point to someone that created them, and that's Jesus. So, so I think sometimes there's a fear that shouldn't be there, and sometimes that's just familiarity, and sometimes it's just our bodies aren't used to the glory. <clears throat> so another aspect here, in my opinion, the fear of the Lord most of the time is a disciplined choice. Proverbs 129 says that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So it's not just an emotion. Psalm 119.11, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I can think of lots of reasons why I would hide God's word in my heart uh, to, to, to love others, to, to be better, you know, whatever. But one of the reasons is because so you don't sin against him. Yeah. It's not the best reason, but it, it is a reason. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the word. In fact, you know, Jesus, how did he overcome the devil in the, in the wilderness? It is written. It is written. It is written. He never stepped outside of the word of God. You, okay, bless you. You're getting touched, or maybe okay. <laughs> Sorry, this is my first time doing this. So, <clears throat> you always bite off more than you can chew, and then you leave the risk to God, right? I'm serious. I could stay comfortable in teaching, but I want more. So I'm stretching out in the power of God. So, um, 
<clears throat> so, uh, so Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ now so you make no provision for the flesh later. That's right. So it's what Jesus did. And it wasn't willpower. Don't use willpower. That doesn't work. Amen. Willpower sucks. It never works. <laughs> it's disciplined putting the word of God in your heart. You know, one of the things that Wigglesworth said, he said that he so consumed the word that it consumed him. And when you get squeezed, the word is what comes out. When you're in the fire, like Mike was talking about, it, you know, the chaff, is, it's just what's in you is going to come out. Right? And so that's what we want. So that when I react, it's going to be a reaction by the Holy Ghost, word of God in me. So that, that's, that, that's the goal. So it's just your, your daily walk with God. And suddenly, the end suddenly happens. Stand in the day of evil, right? And you've got the word in you. You're ready to stand in the evil day. Because everybody has an evil day. Sometimes a week, sometimes a month, sometimes a couple years. It's on, you know what I'm saying? And so that's where we just, it'll pay off. You'll reap what you sow. <clears throat> so, so the next area then we need to look at is, did Jesus walk in the fear of the Lord? And because he's our model, he was, he was perfect as a man. You know, he, he became God in the flesh, but he laid his divinity aside. He had to pray. He had to fast. He had to eat. He had to do all the things a human does. The difference for Jesus was that he wasn't born with an Adamic nature. And so he was showing us what it would be like when we became born again and have a new nature so we could walk the way Jesus walked. So Hebrews 5.8 tells us this, though. We know that he delighted in God's will, Psalm 40, verse 8. But in Hebrews 5.8, it says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So in other words, he suffered while he was being obedient. If obedience is never difficult for you and you never have to suffer being obedient, Amen. how obedient are we in our life? Because yep. right. 2 uh, Timothy 3.12, all that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yes, it's a given. There's no way escaping it. doesn't matter what part of America you go to or how great the laws are or whatever. It, it, there's persecution. So in the garden, Jesus struggled Remember, he had the great drops of blood, and he dreaded the separation of taking our sins, but I also think that he dreaded the pain that he was going to have to happen because he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering pass. He didn't say suffering, but that's the in, in, inclination there, uh, implication, sorry. Um, but nevertheless, here's what the fear of the Lord says, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus stepped through that. And so let's look at the scripture here. Here's the scripture about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Wow. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. The fear of the Lord causes your judgment and decisions to be solid and sound. See, some say that, oh, if you just love God more, you won't have to walk in the fear of the Lord. No, that's not true. Jesus, who loved God better than anybody in this room, delighted in the fear of God. So we have to be like Jesus and delight in the fear of the Lord and learn what the heck does that mean? Well, we're talking about some of the facets today. You're going to learn more. A year from now, I'll have more. You know, that's just the way it works. Another verse here about Jesus. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever scepter of righteousness, scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. There, in my opinion, is one of the key definitions of the fear of the Lord. Loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And therefore, because of that, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions or friends. Maybe that's why Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the cross. He had a joy because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. The fear of the Lord is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. The world doesn't understand this concept. For me to love my wife, I have to hate options that compromise that love. I have to hate the options. I can't give place to them. I can't snuggle up to them. I can't get close to the line. I have to hate them. I don't hate the people that are tempting me or whatever. I have to hate the options, right? Jesus said this, Luke 14, 26, you can't follow me unless you hate your father, mother, or even your own self. The word in the Greek means hate, by the way. Now, we know that we're supposed to love one another, but in comparison to your God spot, 
in comparison, Jesus contrasts it with love and hate. That's how powerful and strong it's supposed to be. So really, it's kind of the, the fear of the Lord is the same way. It's, we're not really walking in fear like we know it, but in comparison to any other fear, the fear of the Lord is the greatest. The fear of the Lord is the greatest. And think about, think about gentle Jesus. He created a whip and he drove out the money changers. Scattered tables and overthrew, you know, coins everywhere. Zeal for your house has eaten me up, it was quoted to Jesus saying. He didn't want anything defiling. He hated lawlessness and he did something about it. And afterwards, the blind and the lame and the maimed came and, they, and he healed them. So the world calls it being tolerant. We just... You know, we, we do walk in black and white sometimes. We, we, you know, we, we don't hate people. We love them. But look, I mean, sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. And uh, we're able to love people where they are and help them walk through things. So some other biblical examples here real fast. Jesus was so in tune with the Holy Spirit, he felt virtue leave his body, remember, when the woman came and touched him. Samson, on the other hand, began to get jaded somehow. And I think it started in chapter 15 when his wife and his father-in-law are killed. And many times we experience tragedies in life and that's the time when we need to be really careful. That we don't start to let things slip. Because in chapter 16, it says that he first went into a harlot and there was no apparent repercussions for it. And this is the deception of sin. We can think we can get away with it and he was for a season, but eventually Delilah showed up in his life. She who weakens, not very good for a guy that's strength is his anointing. And she was meeting, they were meeting in the Valley of Sorek, which is the Valley of Fruitless. Not a good place to be meeting either. He was compromising, right? Three times they come on him, three times he has to lie. If you have to lie, and comp- you're probably compromising. He had to keep lying to conceal his secret. He doesn't have the fear of the Lord, so his judgment is blinded. He doesn't even see what Delilah is doing. Finally, he reveals all his heart. And on the fourth time, you know, here's the story in verse 20. It says, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he said, I'll do as I've done before. I'll shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Jesus felt it. uh, Samson didn't. That's the price we pay when we compromise. The fear of the Lord keeps us in healthy boundaries. The wise hide themselves. The simple pass on and are punished. Balaam, whenever I think of a talking donkey, I think of this. <clears throat> Three times the donkey avoids the angel with drawn sword. Drawn sword is never a good sign if he's drawing it for you, right? And so finally, after he strikes the donkey three times, God opens the donkey's mouth. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't speaking hee-haw, he was speaking Hebrew, for us, it'd be English, but him, it was Hebrew. And you know what Balaam does? This is my, he's lost his mind. He starts arguing back <laughs> with the donkey. He's totally lost his judgment because he lost the fear of the Lord. If my mom's puppies come up on my lap and I'm eating and one starts, <laughs> you going to eat all that? I'd probably freak out a little bit. I mean, something's going on here. It's so funny, too. The donkey, what's the donkey do? Have not I served you faithfully all these years? No, he doesn't. Look, dummy, there's an angel. No, he's just, he's a dumb animal. He's just talking like, you know, he's thinking at an animal's level. Why are you hitting me? I've served you faithfully all these years? You know, he doesn't even mention the angel. So anyway, I I just, it's just kind of comical, comical. Did you say comical? Okay, good. See, we're, we're one. Charles Spurgeon said this, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears away. Last one here on this one, Daniel. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, this is the decree that says, if you pray to any other God, you're going to be thrown to the lions. He says, after he prayed, uh, after this was published, he went home to his upstairs room where the (laughs) windows were opened. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. It was a disciplined choice, a disciplined way of life. So I want you to remember Isaiah 11. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon him, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. 
what I think happens many times, so the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord is a fastener and offshoot of the Holy Spirit, which means that many times the fear of the Lord is the Holy Spirit moving in you in a boldness and a courage that is outside your normal self. And we see it many times in scriptures. You know, Stephen standing up, not seeing the stones, but seeing, you know, Jesus. I just over and over again, and I think this happens a lot in martyrs where they just see Jesus, right? There is a supernatural fear of the Lord that they're able to stand against great opposition that's beyond themselves. And I believe that he had the disciplined choice to start at time number one, and by the time he got to the third time, the Holy Spirit said, you know what, son, you've done good. I'm going to take over from here. And he, he didn't fear the consequences. That's supernatural, folks. I mean, I'd be thinking twice about being thrown to the lions. I would need supernatural courage. I would need the spirit of the fear of the Lord. <sighs> Examples in my life. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but sometimes we love other things. Sometimes it's the fear of the Lord that like a stake in the ground you are leashed to, it keeps you from making stupid decisions. I had this experience one time where I deliberately had disobeyed the Lord. I repented really quick afterwards too. Um, but I felt the sting of his heart, the grieving. I, it felt like a spouse who had just been told that they were cheated on by their lover. And how would you feel? Would you just, oh, it's okay, and just love him and embrace him in that moment? No, I, I'd hurt the Lord's heart, and he was letting me feel that. I don't remember what it was, and I tried to look it up in my journal thing, and I couldn't find it, but I, I just remember, I'll never do that again. That's the fear of the Lord a little bit there. But, you know, because I, I, I feared the emotional, it was emotional fear of reaping consequences. Because sin violates not only your character, but it also violates connection with people. And we forget that sometimes. Karen and I were starting to discuss with some folks, uh, with some of our friends, some people that had wronged us, and as we were starting to, Karen had a vision of a six-foot ear show up in the room. And it was the ear of heaven, listening to see what we were going to say about these people. Even though we were right, were we going to gossip about them? That doesn't put the fear of the Lord in you. <laughs> you see, God doesn't control us. He doesn't stop us. He's still going to be tempted in all things, but there's still a way of escape. Just a little bit of an ear there. What, what are you going to do? You're going to love these people? You're going to honor them? <sighs> you know why I became a pastor in the first place? You don't know the story, most of you. <coughs> Heidi and Rob know. I loved God, but that wasn't why. I feared the consequences of not picking up a small window of opportunity that I was supposed to step through for my destiny. Sometimes we have one choice, one chance. And I was fearful of what would happen if I didn't pick it up. And yes, loving God was in there, but that wasn't the strongest motivator. I feared that I would miss out on the glory that he had stored for me. And God hates that too, that we miss out on his glory. You know why I quit pastoring and closed the church? Which maybe you knew or didn't know. I loved God, yes, but I feared the consequences of moving outside of protection of, of his clearly revealed will, which is I was supposed to step down, we were supposed to close. What, close a revival church? That doesn't make any sense. All I know is I was supposed to do that. And I, I, you know, I've got two weeks worth of dreams and signs and different things that pointed that direction. And why do you need to give it to everybody else that needed it that was accusing me that I was, you know, I don't know why, but sometimes, you know, Jesus... <laughs> Eat my flesh, drink my blood, uh, doesn't explain himself, and he loses several thousand people. Sometimes that's the cost. That's the cost of revelation or walking with God in something. What do you do? Are you going to go away also, he asked his disciples. He didn't. His main thing was to please the Father. That's where the fear of the Lord takes us, our main thing. I'm not saying we chuck counselors and we chuck our, you know, but you understand what I'm saying is sometimes you do go it alone. Sometimes, you, you, you know, people don't understand exactly the, the situation. And so, you know, there's balance there. Um, yes, God's grace could have covered, but what if I actually would have reaped a hundredfold of what I sowed in the flesh? What if it would have been shouted from the housetops, whatever it was? And this is just, you know, there's, there's other examples, but um, 
There is a verse in Matthew that says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. There is a place for mourning in the Old Testament. Excuse me. There's a place for mourning in the body of Christ in general. And then I was getting to the Old Testament word. One of the words for fear of the Lord means to sojourn or to temporarily visit there. So in other words, emotionally, you don't dwell in the fear of the Lord emotionally, continuously. Maybe 1% out of 99 or something. You know what I'm saying? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. That's where, that's where we come alive. But every now and then, there is this, this uh, mourning process because we committed sin, because we screwed up. We need to feel sorry about it. It sh- it's there. It's godly sorrow works true repentance. If he just lets you get away with things and you just had to quick, say a quick sorry and never felt anything, well, what good does that do? That's not going to bring true repentance. So, so it really is there. So embrace the process. Here's the deal. All growth and promotion in the kingdom requires allowing Jesus to speak pruning and correcting words to you. You're never going to grow unless you allow him to speak those to you. And sometimes he speaks it through people. Luke 9, 46 to 56, you can just write that down. There are three stories here. There's an argument of the disciples. Who's going to be the greatest? Because they all went out two by two and they're doing miracles. And Yeah, our group, you should have seen us. We had 10 legs grow out. And two blind eyes opening. Yeah, you should have seen us. Jesus didn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He had to show them what real greatness was and he set a child in their midst. He had to clip. He had to prune back this unhealthy branch that was growing. Another story, there's these guys casting out demons in Jesus' name, but they're not following our church. They're not in our church. They're not in our group. We tried to stop, and Jesus says, don't forbid them, for they that are with us are not against us. Oh, you mean we've got to get along with other folks? We've got to rejoice with those who rejoice. When they got healed and we didn't, when they got breakthrough and we didn't, the final story is the village I told you about where there are, let's prophesy judgment on this city these heathens what do they know they're rejecting Jesus and he rebuked them and said you don't know what spirit you're of that's my chainsaw imitation time to clip a big old limb no guys look we don't kill we're here to save we don't kill we're here to save okay got it now Here's what I'm going to do. It works so well, I'm going to send you out again and send 70 others also. And that's what he did in chapter 10. Most of us would have benched everybody. You're out for six months. If you keep coming to Jesus and keep letting him prune you, he'll keep sending you out. That's what he'll do. He's good. All right. I saved the best for the last. This is one more facet. And in my opinion, it's one of the best. The other aspect of the fear of the Lord sometimes happens because of the supernatural power of God's goodness displayed in healing and touching people. And it often left people trembling and it marked them for life. Jesus' power was always used to set captives free. So just a few of these stories here real fast. The fear of the Lord because of his goodness. Mark 5, the man of the Gadarenes, he's got thousands of demons in him crying, cutting himself naked among the tombs. Jesus cast out a legion of demons. He went to the, uh, he was, excuse me, he was sitting clothed in his right mind and you know what the townspeople said? Please leave. We can't handle this. This is too freaky. Now, now later, the seed sown, it, it was good for that city later, but in the immediate, the, the goodness of God blew their minds away. Everywhere this man went in the 10 cities, it was called, it said every man marveled. It was like, wow, God is that good? Really? God's that good? Luke five twenty six. Jesus is healing the sick. He's opening blind eyes, casting out demons. And it says they were filled with fear. The word is terror. And it says we've seen strange things today. <laughs> we're going to follow this guy from a distance. Matthew 28, 8, the ladies departing from the empty tomb met two angels departed quickly with fear and great joy. Huh, how's that work? You can have them both. The resurrection was mind-blowing. It was just too good. It was just too good. 
two scriptures on this. Jeremiah 33, 9, an end times promise. Jerusalem will be to me a name of joy, praise and glory before all the nations of the earth, which will hear of all the good that I will do for it. And they will fear and tremble because of all the good and the peace that I will provide for it. How good must his goodness be to cause nations to tremble because of it? You ever think about that? Psalm 67, 7, God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. These are great promises, folks. This is, the, this is the fear of the Lord, where the Lord is taking us. Yeah. I want this place to be a sign and a wonder to the region. And yes, freaky things happen, but you know what? When people get set free, it, don't, they don't, it doesn't care. You don't care what liberty looks like when you're free. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll throw off your cloak and be naked and run to Jesus if he's going to heal your eyes. <clears throat> so <clears throat> all of these examples were God's goodness in action. You say, how do you know his goodness is by signs, healings, and wonders. Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Here's the definition of God's goodness. Acts 10:38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, not God, oppressed of the devil. There's God's goodness in action, healing those that were oppressed. Acts 10:38. Whenever there's a clash of two kingdoms, we get to see God redeem and reverse cruelty. Blind eyes opening, legs growing, body parts, whatever. It's messy, yes. It's freaky at times, yes. But it's God's power because he's so good. And this is why we continue to press in for the more of God, because people need to encounter a powerful, loving, good God. Amen? So as we, we're, getting, we're landing the plane now, um, how do we apply this to our life? If Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads people to, penten- to repentance, and if it's by the, f- the goodness of God that the fear of the Lord comes on the nations, then it stands to reason as we fill our minds and hearts with his goodness towards us, as we do Jude 21, which says keep yourselves in the love of God, as you do those things, then you will naturally, instinctively walk in the fear of the Lord because you're just convinced of his goodness for you and of his love second thing I'd like to say, hopefully that I've answered some of your questions, but if I've done my job today, I've created more questions than answers. If you don't have more questions, then you're not growing. When Jesus says, this is what greatness looks like, the answer that those guys got, they had to rethink probably with 10 questions. Oh, that's what greatness looks like? Oh, we're not supposed to kill people? I mean, they had a lot of rethinking to do after Jesus, you know, that's, that's what God does in our life. And I hope that you have questions today and that I can't even answer because you need to go on a search yeah. with God alone right. and find out what the heck is he talking about? How does this work? I don't know. I'm giving you a few facets. There's at least 26. <laughs> you know, there's 54-sided dice too. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. And finally, I hope I've stirred up a hunger for more of God. 